Welcome, everybody, to the Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the greatest bloody wrestling matches in professional wrestling history, and one of the writers on the Segunda Caída blog. I am extremely pleased to be joined today with two of the uh, great forces for evil and destruction in professional wrestling, two true uh, avatars of evil, Jeff G. Bailey and Reverend Dan Wilson. A little scary to be on here with you guys, to be honest with you. We are talking about... I'm Devils. officially retired from evil. <laughs> You're both officially retired from evil, right? Is that am I correct? I've discussed. I'm, I'm like at the I'm like at the demons retirement home. <laughs> <laughs> Perpetrating evil in professional wrestling, yes, but I do now create filth in the form of horror movies. So you know, trade one vice for the other, I guess. Mm. We are here with both of you gentlemen. This is my first three-man pod to discuss uh, Reverend Dan's Devil's Rejects versus Jeff G. Bailey's NWA Elite in the War Games, June 23rd, 2007. Rejects were causing so much havoc you had to get demons from the darker parts of hell to come take them out. And that's where we are here. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming on. Dan, for coming on again. Jeff, for coming on for the first time. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us again. All right. So let's talk a little bit. This is sort of almost like a sequel to the podcast uh, uh, Reverend Dan and I did about the previous year's War Games match, which was... Team Anarchy versus the Devil's Rejects. And that was a pair, uh, a group of sort of blue-eyed uh, baby faces taking on a group of psychotic drifters. And this is a group of psychotic drifters uh, being battled by a group of uh, another group of psychotic drifters, almost like where you kind of couldn't, couldn't, good, got, good wasn't going to do it. So you had to go for more evil. So why don't we talk a little bit, before we talk about the match itself, about sort of where we are after 2006. Uh, the match in 2006, which was uh, July 2006, and how we got to June 2007 and this particular feud. Sure, I can lead that off a little bit just since I ended the last one. You know, they, they finally defeated us team anarchy finally defeated the devil's rejects at fright night in helen georgia at the remember when theater we had moved uh due to the success of the war games at hostile environment in 06 jerry palmer the promoter tried an outside venue to try to draw a larger crowd uh, and so we did Fright Night there, and they defeated us in a casket match. In that match, Team Anarchy brought in Abyss. It's important to note that also on that show, AJ Styles got involved in one of the brouhaha's. That ended up in me getting dumped into the casket and the Rejects losing, ultimately, the final showdown against Team Anarchy. So at this point, they think they have defeated the evil rejects and ran us out of town. I even went so far as to lay off for a TV or so. 
and uh, just to see what would happen. And then when I came back, I apologized for my behavior and said that I was going to leave. I came out in street clothes, no reverend makeup, no ceremonial garments, no staff of righteousness, just Dan uh, in my normal clothes and apologized for all of my psychotic behavior and said I was going to go get help. And that, you know, I just had a really rough time that I'd gone through a divorce and I just I snapped and I couldn't cope. And so I left and I just walked off. And then I we did a vignette later in the night where I was going around saying my goodbyes and I came upon Jeff. And, you know, that was for the first time that I had ever on screen acknowledged our personal relationship outside of the ring. That Jeff had been like a big brother to me and like a mentor and that I really looked up to him and all this other stuff. Um, and then I also like pulled this Godfather Sopranos moment and pulled him in close and said, you know, I know you used to manage Abyss. I know you used to manage AJ Styles. I know you were responsible for Team Anarchy getting access to those secret weapons that were my undoing. So really it was a whole setup to get Jeff. So I actually struck the first blow. But of course, as the results in some of those matches would indicate, that probably ended up being a mistake. <laughs> Jeff, what are your thoughts on that early part of it? Yeah, I mean... The the year prior, the feud with Team Anarchy had been outstanding. And, and um, after that War Games, you know, with the double cross on Jerry, y'all got all that six more months out of it. And um, I was managing Jeff Lewis, the, the heavyweight champion. And, you know, I definitely playing second fiddle for the first time in anarchy because uh man that rejects angle was red hot and uh as we got closer to where we were going to get to do our thing i was i was really excited about what we were going to get to do but uh at the time i had like jeff lewis and onyx and onyx was definitely not into the violent stuff so uh we were scrambling trying to find the right guys to try and put together a team that would be able to compete with Dan's rejects. So uh, I was definitely undermanned here at the beginning. And uh, we go to Helen, which is a little Bavarian tourist town in Georgia to do uh, our first match. That's six man. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, it was a six-man or an eight-man, one of the two. I think it was a six-man. Yeah, that's that, that was the first match, right? Yes, it was. It was at Seasons Beatings. We had done the Halloween show uh, in Helen, and it was very successful. And so successful, they asked us to come back for the Christmas show. And so we brought our Christmas big show, season be Seasons Beatings, there. And that was was one of the feature matches they also did aj styles versus jeremy vane for the heavyweight title if i'm not mistaken and then they yeah. had jackson versus the elite in the first ever showdown and if i recall that ended up in some kind of non-finish right and who was the elite at this yeah point? um okay for this match this was great because i'd forgotten this because right before this match happened because like i said i was undermanned as we were setting this match up, because I had Jeff Lewis and Onyx and Ma Michael Adrian, 
who had the former Michael Adrian returned from Puerto Rico as Michael Judas and showed up at the TV before this big show and just ran roughshod. I remember he did that, uh, that border toss thing he does where he threw Azrael like all the way across the ring. And uh, that was our big, you know, surprise. Like Michael Judas has come from Puerto Rico. We got our own monster to deal with Dan's monster. So that was a really big angle. And, you know, it's just perfect timing of that's when Mike arrived back from Puerto Rico with that new gimmick. I mean, one of the cool things about, the coolest things about sort of the Cornelia wrestling universe is that you've had, you have all these guys with such deep history. It almost reminds me a little bit of the way Memphis would work and they could run a feud based on, you know, they could run Jerry Jarrett, uh, you know, could come out there uh, and based on something that happened in the seventies and all the fans would remember what happened, right? Like that you have these guys who had been characters for so long who could always come and run things. And I think Cornelia was a little like that too, where you could bring a guy back who hadn't been there three or four years, but the fans would sort of recognize the history of all of it. It does, it had, it has a sort of a deep well, of guys, I think you know they're still doing it there. Well, they'll bring back a guy like Azrael or something like that. Even now, when fans will still remember, okay, this guy was a big star ten years ago, and we all got that sort of uh, affinity for him. Oh yeah, we love that. That's really a sense of pride for us because you know we really did try to make stars there. That was what we were known for, and uh, it was something you know that it, it really meant something to us that people treated our guys as stars, and so they would allow for that sort of history and mythology when guys would come in and out. And I found the results for the event. So the elite team was Jeff Lewis, Onyx, and Judas. Oh, and Corey Chavis. It was an eight-man. And it was, uh, the Rejects team was Tank, Iceberg, Azrael, and Tempers. So that's the, and then you had AJ Styles back, I guess, after, he had never, he was a wild side guy, and I guess at this point it was a TNA, and just kind of coming back in and working a show or two? Yeah, he would just come back in and do the favors. <laughs> Who won that match? That was a no finish. Yeah, it was a no finish. The, the thing I remember most about that match is tank was bleeding and they put him on the ropes and uh this was the big thing going on in iwa mid-south at the time where they were doing all those headbutts and stuff so instead of you know punching tank or hitting tank or choking him on the ropes i thought it would be funny if i just headbutted him so i went over there and i i gave him this headbutt and it almost knocked me out i mean <laughs> Tank didn't sell anything. He looked at me and like I'm staggering back and I got Tank's blood all over my forehead. It looks like I busted my own head open and stuff. And that was a that was the last time I gave anybody a headbutt. <laughs> so you're like, oh, this will be good. I'll crack my skull against the skull. Okay, I guess there's a reason I don't do this. <laughs> yes. You know, I had seen it so much recently, it seemed like the thing to do like all these guys are doing it it can't hurt that bad but uh yeah it hurt like hell i remember i played uh football in high school with this guy who was um danny levy was a samoan kid and just a complete maniac not enormous like you'd see some of these samoans but just like a complete like 
terror. And I was in street clothes one time at football, pro- uh, or he was in street clothes in football practice because he had hurt his knee. And he came up to me. I was in a full gear, helmet and everything. Like, grab, grabs my face mask and just headbutts me as hard as he can. And actually watered up my eyes. And he's in street clothes and I'm in a football helmet. So <laughs> I, can, I imagine that you headbutting take was a little bit like Danny Levy headbutting my football helmet. Like, it seemed like a good idea. <laughs> Bad idea for me. Yes. <laughs> it felt like a football helmet. All right. So we get... Christmas, uh, no contest in that one. What's sort of our next step in this battle? I actually have still have the results. It looks like I might have all of the angles. Nice. So the, Done the research. I love it. I didn't have to. <laughs> uh, the NWA Elite on the next show is Onyx and Jeff Lewis in a tag match against Phil Shatter and Truett Fields. Jeff. Was that uh, the match where you guys kind of recruited Shatter? Yeah, you know, we had had Truett and Shatter in for a while, and they were both big, muscular guys who could wrestle. Um, Shatter had reached out to me and said, I really want to be in the NWA elite. And, I mean, I looked at him, and he's this big, huge, hungry kid who uh, could clearly put up a fight with guys like iceberg and tank so yeah that was the beginning of okay let's try and recruit him into the group and uh shore things up because i think at this point we are heading into hardcore hell which is going to be an anarchy rules match which is like a fans bring the weapons thing and Onyx wanted absolutely no part of that. So he was going to be out soon and I was going to have to replace him as well. But, uh, that's, that's where we were right now. What's what we're, we're starting to build to is hardcore hell. Okay. So we get to, we get to hardcore hell. And and as far as the story of this feud, it's still just kind of, two groups of people that hate each other, right? Have we twisted and turned yet? Not really in any major direction. There's just been Jeff's rebuilding of the elite. And that's what most of this has been about. We saw the addition of Shatter um, within the next couple of TVs. I'm looking here. Abomination is added. Uh, Jeff, you want to talk a, a little bit about Abomination? Yeah, Abomination is a guy. He was about seven feet tall. I'd say he was a legit 6'11", 7 feet tall, about 400-plus pounds. And um, he was working some indie, and somebody said, there's this big 7-foot kid working this indie. And I said, well, my God, send him down here and let me look at him. And, you know, because, again, we got Tank and Iceberg on the other team, so I I need some guys to shore up the elite. And uh, I got him, and uh, he was – he just looked like such a happy-go-lucky guy, you know, so we got him the the leather mask to wear, which he absolutely hated and thought he was going to die out there every time he had to wear it. But uh, he wore it and uh, did what he needed to do. So uh, he was a great addition in that he was a huge guy. He could do a choke slam and, uh, <laughs> you know, serve his purpose. 
Um, that was I we I talked a little about this last podcast. One of the great things about that sort of Cornelia feds is you guys just could always find huge big wrestlers, right? Most indie wrestling in the two thousands, everybody was you know your big guy was Samoa Joe was five nine or something like that, five ten. And but you know when you got to uh, when you got to George, it's like oh these guys are actually heavyweights. That guy that these guys are enormous wrestlers, and it's kind of cool in 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 a, in a something that had become. You know, indie wrestling for the most part had become juniors, almost all of them. And but when you got down to to Wildside and then to Anarchy, here are some legit big boys. So that uh, you know, Abomination was enormous. Um, maybe not the most skilled wrestler in the world, but definitely looked scary. Which uh, and uh, you know, well, you can't teach height. That's what we say in the NBA, right? Yeah, he was. Um, he he wasn't the most skilled guy. He was pretty green, but we didn't need a whole lot from him other than to be big and to hit big spots when we needed him to. And um, and he was pretty consistent with all that. And he had a great attitude. And I mean, like I said, he was dying in that leather mask in Cornelia in the summer. I mean, it it was brutal, but uh, you know, he toughed it out. So with Abomination, Jeff had pretty much like shored up a, a pretty solid team going into the Anarchy Rules match at Hardcore Hell. And the promos and stuff building up to this has been a lot of back and forth, a lot of personal insults. But it's basically I am the new kid on the block in terms of the evil manager and like we're the only thing that's ever given Jeff a run for his money in terms of being the top heels there. So I'm trying to usurp him and he's trying to keep me from doing that and put me in my place and show me that, you know, I'm just a punk kid who should not step up to the king. And it, we just made for some great TV and we finally got to this fucking anarchy rules match, which is it's every bit as violent. It might be more bloody and violent than that war games match. I actually think it might've been the best match of our whole feud. Um, because Jeff also, yeah, well you also brought in David young, who's, you know, wild side legend and a guy that's not afraid to get in there and bleed. And he really only came in for that match, but, what a fucking addition he was yeah it's interesting it's you know anarchy is so hard to find uh and i had to do like a real uh mission it took me a mission to find this match i had to like i was searching it down i was reaching out to bill barons i eventually found one guy who had it on a comp tape and i somehow convinced him to rip it for me and it was like a uh, like almost like a heist movie to get this so i mean i i've similarly looked for that match too and so far i have not been able to get my hands on it but uh, uh you know that's my hope is that with Wild side starting to show up on IWTV. That anarchy will start showing up on IWTV too, because it feels like there's. I mean, has to be legendary classic matches like these two matches, which just aren't really available for people to put their eyes on. And I imagine that's that sounds like one of them. I, I think David Young is tremendous, and I can imagine just imagine what uh, a, you know, fans bring your weapons completely nuts brawl with all those guys must have been like. Yeah, the match itself is insane. There's a washing machine out there at some point, and I remember somebody's laying on it for like a big elbow drop off the top rope from Azrael, a move, and he just crashes on that washing machine, and it just dents all the way in. And and this is my favorite spot 
from the match that's not part of the great stuff. I mean, everybody's beat down and laying around on the floor. I mean, like everybody's selling down dead and everybody's laying there leaning back against stuff. And in the midst of all that, Azrael leans over and picks up a VCR and just throws it at Corey Chavis. You know, and he has to put his hands up and block the thing. And he's looking at him like, like motherfucker, like we're selling. What are you doing? Asshole. It was so, I mean, I almost laughed. Like, I, I can't believe this asshole just threw this. It's like this moment of silence kind of thing. And in the middle of it, he just throws this VCR at him. <laughs> uh, what about the Guitar Hero controllers in that motherfucker? <sighs> they were trying to break those things so, so bad. And they just wouldn't give. I got to use the water jug on a stick in that match. And I remember I hit Tank with it. Do it again. So I hit him again, and then I ran around and started hitting everybody with it. And then uh, after the fact, Hank goes, man, that water jug hurt so much. And I was like, well, why did you ask me to hit you again? He goes, it was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody was like, yeah, motherfucker, you hit me with that water jug. It really hurt. I was like, I didn't think it hurt. I'm sorry. Amidst the bloodbath and all the fucking insanity that was that match, we had one of the great managerial comedy spots of all time where I, uh, as a great heat mechanism, as a satanic reverend, would walk around with no shoes on. I never, I was always barefoot. And people fucking hated it. Like, it was an instant heat getter. You would walk out and without fail, within five seconds, some redneck or some old toothless broad is going to holler over at the rail and say, hi, put some shoes on, asshole. You know? <laughs> so it worked. That was easy. So it became a thing of mine. And so all the guys are down, me and Jeff rise. And I, with my staff of righteousness, with a goat skull on the end of it, with the antlers pointing out, <laughs> come charging at Jeff and... In a fucking Roadrunner Wiley Coyote moment, Jeff reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out a handful of thumbtacks and sprinkles them across the path. And I run right into the thumbtacks and start jumping around, fucking hopping and holding my feet. Um, it, it was one of the finest moments of my life. <laughs> oh, man. That's got to really hurt, too, just stepping in a handful of thumbtacks. Feel good. It was worth it. I've got a, a four year old. I know what stepping on Legos feels like. They feel great. I imagine thumbtacks is worse. Yeah, that's one of my favorite spots. That was really great. And then uh, at the finish of the match, we like murdered Tank, like put him through this barbed wire, thumbtack, flaming table or something i think we even had a light tube involved in this thing which was you know very uh no no thing for bill but somebody had smuggled in a light tube and smashed it on tank's head at the end there and then uh we did the abomination tries to break his neck where he like wrenches his neck around and stuff and and basically we lost that match but then we celebrated because we thought we had killed tank and um I got to say, that's one of my favorite promos that I did in Anarchy is the post-match promo from that match where I talk about how 
everybody on the rejects is dead. Oh, that that was a great match. And you were you had managed. I know you managed Iceberg in Wildside, right? Uh, yes. Jeff, uh, and you did you also ever manage Tank? Was he a, a member I, of the elite at one point? I did not manage Tank. I did manage Azrael, and I did manage Iceberg though. I managed both of those guys. And now, had you and Iceberg had a falling out at some point in between Wildside and Anarchy, or it just he had ended up on another side? Was there like a breakup of that happy home? Yeah, we did the breakup when he lost the title to Hot Stuff Hernandez, and then uh, he did some like sportsmanship moment or something, and I cussed him out for losing and and being a sportsman instead of being a killer and stuff and then he turned on me and turned babyface and then uh in one of the worst decisions we ever made we turned hot stuff hernandez heel to go with me to go against iceberg and uh it just you know hot stuff was a babyface it was it was not the right decision to make but uh and this is iceberg the- and this was Anner. This was a uh, wild side end of the end of the road wild side. Yeah, this this is the, the in, near the end of wild side. I never managed Iceberg and Anarchy. Um, Dan brought all those guys back as the rejects, like one at a time. Is that right, Dan? That's right. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. Is like those guys had all been gone, and you know they came back, and it was revealed yeah. that I was plot to bring all those former wild side guys who were now disgruntled that anarchy was a thing back to shut it down <laughs> we wasn't getting a piece of the action we wanted to shut it down okay so we've got so that 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 match which sounds incredible and now i've got to go back on my go back in my detective uh mode and try to find somebody who's got a copy of it this is <laughs> how it works i gotta go down to the tape mines and try to dig that one up because that sounds great maybe for for way of the blade two, a hundred more of the greatest uh bloody wrestling matches in wrestling history that could be in the sequel uh so where are we at now so after the the uh the match tank is gone the rejects are at a sort of a disadvantage here and we continue the build we always know that war games is the ultimate destination and for hardcore hell and the anarchy rules match we had actually brought it back to the wild side ncw nwa anarchy arena whatever (laughs) you might call it now it's known as the landmark arena but it's had 15 different names over the years Uh, and the church of southern wrestling don't forget that one that's the best one, the Church of Southern Wrestling. Uh, but the building in Cornelia, of course, they brought Hardcore Hell back there instead of taking it to an outside building. And I think there was a falling out with the people in Helen. So we didn't end up going back to Helen. But Jerry was like... Determined. Maybe maybe the light tube. <laughs> it, it could have been some of the blood involved in the previous two shows, yes. <laughs> that might have had something to do with it. Uh, but Jerry is bound and determined. Jerry Palmer is bound and determined to take Anarchy to another bigger building. He wants to top the 600 draw that we did for Seasons Beating. So we did around 400, 450 for Fright Night. We did 600 
for season's beatings. We come back to the building and pack that out for hardcore hell, what, three, four hundred, whatever will fit in there. And then he decides he's going to try and run the legendary Georgia Mountain Center in Gainesville, Georgia, where Georgia Championship Wrestling, NWA Wrestling, WCW Wrestling, and even a couple of weeks before we ran there, TNA Wrestling ran. So we start the build to the war games. And at that point, it's really just a bunch of different combination of matches of the different members of the elite versus the different members of the rejects. And I'm just looking here to see if there's anything that like really stands out. Do you remember anything from that build that's particularly great, Jeff? I think it was all pretty much just getting to the war game stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything was like, we weren't going to do anything big until we got to that. So everything was building to that. Um, I know that Dominus was back. Um being involved in stuff here and uh, just kind of being outside the rings. And um, we had started setting up some stuff with um, Dominus and Abomination because they were just the two big guys that beat on each other and stuff. Although we were going to need Abomination in the ring as part of the team in the war games. So tell me a little about, uh, more about Dominus, uh, Reverend Dan. Dominus, um, I, I talked a little bit about him on the previous episode. He was a guy that we brought in because wanted some sort of like non-wrestling bodyguard character in the rejects. And he was just so freakishly big. He was actually the real-life brother of Michael Judas, but he was not gifted with Michael's in-ring ability. But he was just <laughs> giant, lumbering oaf. And... Uh, we came up with the idea. He wrestled on some other indie shows as like Max Carnage or something. And he would like <laughs> wear a suit and long tights and just, you know, it was just, even though he was like seven foot nine, he was very unimpressive. So I was like, how can I make this guy a freak? And of course, uh, we were calling ourselves the Devil's Rejects. I was a huge fan of those movies, and we tried to steer away too far of like visually copying them since we were already stealing their name. But he, in particular, was absolutely completely ripped off from the character Tiny from those movies. And I just kind of, uh, you know, tweaked a couple of things here and there with his look. And he basically was like a modern day Prince Karis <laughs> for, for those that don't remember him. Um, you know, he was real limited, but very impressive when booked right and, and in small doses. And that's how we used him and abomination. And man, people were really excited to see them go at it. Now, little did they know they really never wanted to see what actually happened. But man, the buildup was something else. Yes, it was. I mean, they were, they were, I mean, you don't see two seven foot guys out there pounding on each other. And it was like, okay, guys, you're not very good. You gotta hit each other hard. You gotta make this. You gotta do something that is good, and that's the one thing you can do. And uh, they were agreeable here at the beginning. Right. You not, might not be able to throw a teardrop suplex or a beautiful uh, in-ring uh, cobrata, but you can stick it for anybody. Can stick a forearm in somebody's face, right? Yes. <laughs> Kick them in the ribs, and even it hurts later. <laughs> 
you're that big. It's all you've got to do. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's all you want them to do, right? I don't want to see them. I don't want to see a teardrop suplex. I just want to see a, a giant freak guy in a leather mask hit somebody as hard as he can in the face. They, they both seemingly had trouble maintaining their balance after anything <laughs> did. But, you know, as long as they didn't fall over, I guess it was okay. But there was a lot of stumbling going on anytime they were doing something, that's for sure. So there was, a, there was the build between those where you would kind of have a bunch of stare-offs and a bunch of anticipation, right? All, the, all, uh, all sizzle and hopefully we never have to get to the stake. Um, cause, cause, you know, in the war games, Abomination was in the match. Dom, Dominus was not right. Correct. And for good reason, <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to a lot. It was a lot of pull apart brawls, a lot of stare downs, a lot of promos back and forth, a lot of singles and tag match combinations with no finishes were what we saw during this time because we had blown <laughs> such a giant load at Hardcore Hell with that fans bring the weapons match that, you know, we had to save something for the war games. So we didn't want to go out there and give them a bunch of violets in the build to the war games because we really thought the whole Hardcore Hell match and the taking out of tank was sufficient to already set it up. Like, we were already set up and ready to go. And so the TV before the war games is June 16th, and we have what becomes an anarchy tradition, and they still do, is uh, instead of doing the ceremonial coin toss, which is just a little thing we tried to do at Anarchy to differentiate it from Wildside, since we had Dusty Rhodes do the coin toss at Wildside, you can't fucking hardly beat that. So, like, let's do something different. So we turned it into an opportunity, a booking opportunity, and a storytelling opportunity, and used it as a match on the show before. And in this case, the coin toss match was Azriel with Corey Chavis. Yes. Uh, as Corey Chavis to win the advantage in the battle of the former Wildside Tag Team Champions. And at this point, are you guys, are both teams pure heels or have, have, have the crowd or the booking turned one of these teams' baby face at least a little bit? Nobody was turned baby face. I think my team was kind of seen in the babyface role as we're standing up for anarchy from the guys who tried to tear it down, but we didn't embrace the fans or make any kind of official turn. I was still the same asshole I was prior. So no real change was made. Although I think we were kind of seen as defending because they were the invaders. They were trying to destroy the promotion. And uh, that just put us in the savior role without us playing savior. Yeah. Better the asshole, you know, (laughs) right? Well, at least, you know, it's an asshole, but we're familiar with this asshole. Like Dan, betrayed us all because we actually liked him and then he told us to go fuck ourselves and jeff at some point you're you're around this promotion for so long that you just become a beloved figure no matter what a what a piece of trash you are right like at some point just like you're the the uncle that everybody hates but he's still our uncle uh yeah i i did turn baby face for the last you know 
six months of anarchy before it closed down and, and went out as uh, another conquering hero from invaders coming in and trying to take over. And I repelled them as a baby face and stood tall at the end and did my thank you to the people. And they loved me and all that. But up till that point, I, I never turned. I just stayed a heel forever. All right. So now we have arrived, right? So let's go over who are on each of uh, tell me your your warriors here dan who are uh, who are you bringing in who are the rejects uh bringing in for this war games match so the rejects team here was sean tempers who has been uh, really blossoming in this time as a great tag team wrestler as a great singles wrestler and a great heel this was really the rise of him as a heel uh, before he went on later to become NWA North American champion and change his gimmick to the temptation. Uh, he was really starting to shine here. And he and Azrael were a regular tag team. Azrael had been a, a, a legend in the building at this point and uh, was, you know, just a founding member of the rejects and can't say enough awesome things about him and how he's one of the most underrated indie wrestlers of all fucking time. Uh, but just a guy that never really went ever, went anywhere else, you know? So it's like the fact that he wasn't seen elsewhere was really on his own accord. But, man, it's a shame more people haven't seen him and, uh, you know, been able to see what he's capable of because he's extremely talented. Uh, and then also on the team was Iceberg, of course. So we had Azriel Tempers and Iceberg, and we had Dominus in the backup, and we had a mystery participant as the fourth member of the Rejects. So it was not advertised going into the match. This was, of course, to set the stage for the big comeback of Tank. Tank, in real life, had moved to Ohio at that time. So was not available all the time for uh, anarchy appearances. And that was pretty much why we had written him out back at Hardcore Hell. But he came back to do this show as a big return baby face. Returning, it was a baby face. But, you know, it, it still it, it, it played within the story of us coming for our revenge. Okay. And uh, Jeff G. Bailey, you, uh, attorney Jeff G. Bailey represented nwa elite with who in this match okay i had the human holocaust abomination i had the universal soldier phil shatter the feature presentation jeff lewis and the soul assassin Corey chavis were my war games team for the georgia mountain center and how did how'd you guys do with the georgia mountain center what was the crowd like 900 people the biggest crowd we ever drew okay and this was this is the value of building something up for this long right you guys did almost eight months or something of building this match and and yes. you know packed uh you know i don't know if you packed the georgia mountain center but your biggest crowd ever is certainly it was certainly an achievement uh and we you know, outdrew ta who had been there a couple weeks earlier and that TNA it, uh, always has TV for some reason, so still does. And this that, uh, and you guys were had local TV, right? Uh, at the time, we did. yeah, Jerry was okay. paying for local TV in Gainesville and Cornelia. Yeah. 
buildup for this. So we did have a little bit of local TV. It wasn't very pronounced. It was like some real public access, low quality shit, but it was out there. But it was more just the buzz we had in the community and the area at the time. It was one of those unique things where we were like the hottest ticket in town for a while and going over to Gainesville to the Mountain Center 900 and odd doesn't pack out the Mountain Center I think it probably holds a couple thousand maybe more uh, but for us it was an enormous crowd and the fact that we outdrew TNA who had guys like Kurt Angle and Scott Steiner on their card when we didn't have near anyone of that star caliber though there were lots of guys on this show that would go on to become stars uh, xavier woods dash wilder and of course phil shatter who would go on to become uh jackson Riker in the wwe like there's a, a lot of guys that did become stars but they weren't draws at that point okay so who opened it up uh the war who are our first two that was uh what tempers and, and Corey chavis hmm. yes Oh, first we got to talk about the cage that Jerry bought for this show that was never used again because it wouldn't fit inside the arena. So he bought this 15-foot-high steel cage to use for one match, and that's all it was ever used for. And they strung barbed wire all through the top and all through the bottom. So uh, remember that as we get into the match because it, it, it plays a vicious part later in the match. So Jerry may have built, built, uh, booked his biggest house ever, but blew it all on a one-time only cage. <laughs> yeah, he probably. actually donated most of the gate to charity anyway. Okay. So, I mean, right. you know, Jerry was a good man. <laughs> Because like couldn't be us. We're 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 in it for we're in it for horror and violence. We're not in it for the kids. Um, that is correct. <laughs> all right, so we got Corey Chavis and Tempers. I I remember that when I wa watched this, this was my least favorite part of the match. I thought it was a little too fancy. Uh, Chavis and Tempers. Uh, they were doing a little like uh, indie wrestling uh, in my war games. I prefer to just get. The gross, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it red early. Uh, but that happened pretty quick when Asriel came in second. Yeah, I don't, I mean, what I think was going on there is like both of those guys are fucking phenomenal workers, but I do think that uh, Chavis was a bit of a hot property at the time, having done some Ring of Honor stuff and, and more. And Tempers was a guy on the come up, and they were going to try to get a little shine in there so that Tempers looked good in case anybody was paying attention, <laughs> is I'm sure what was going on there. But no, I, I would agree that Asriel ratcheted up the violence quite a bit when he came in second. And I loved him holding the door closed <laughs> when, when uh, Jeff Lewis was trying to get in. Right, and Lewis was not a... He wasn't Slim Jay, right? He's not a guy who necessarily was known for doing a lot of big high spots. So that cage dive was unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I, I should have said that before during the uh, the fan because I mean Jeff is a wrestler and he had, he wasn't really into the blood and gut stuff and he stepped up in that match and this one to deliver the goods. Be you know understand what was expected from him, which was blood and violence. And uh, he delivered on both of those in both matches. So I was always 
really happy with that because he was, you know, a technical wrestling type guy. But uh, he stepped up, whereas Onyx stepped down and said, oh, I'm not doing that. I don't want nothing to do with that. Okay, can't ask. You, you know, it's not for everyone, right? <laughs> this match isn't for everyone who watches it. I can't imagine this match is for everyone who participates in it. Although I, uh, you get a certain type of demented individual who would who will appreciate watching it and certainly, I imagine, enjoy participating in it. Oh, yes. <laughs> so Without we- a doubt. So we get our the big so we get so Lewis can't get in the ring. They hold it shot, and he comes in and does a big dive onto to get into the ring, which I thought was sort of a clever way to to uh, work a like a heat section in a match like this. That's the thing about war games sometimes is you gotta you gotta kill some time and do interesting things in the match before you actually get to the point where the match can end. Uh, so there's sort of always like a two parts to putting a war game together. You got to find some interesting things to do in the sections where you're going to be, uh, what two on one and three on two and, uh, and four on three. And then obviously you have to come with a, with an appropriately horrifically violent finish to really make it, make it work. Right. You know, like maybe the best war games ever is, uh, you know, uh, is that dangerous Alliance war games, but it does kind of end with, you know, an arm bar by Bobby Eaton or something like that. Or it's like arm bar master Bobby Eaton breaking out his submissions. And, you know, where these, the great thing about these is they always end in a way like, yeah, that's the end. <laughs> let's call it, let's call it a night. That's the end. This should be the end. Let's not do anything more. This is as close to a murder as you're going to see in a wrestling ring. I think we always prided ourselves in that, you know, we, I, I think that is one thing you could probably say critically about some of the great war games matches is they don't have the most climactic finishes. And we knew that, uh, especially given that we're, you know, we're only doing it with one ring. All these guys are crammed in here together. So like, we're really trying to deliver on the violence aspect of it. So we've got our big moment, which is the surprise return of tank. So let's talk a little about how that sort of came together and what that moment was like. It was just coordinating with him. I think it had been planned. Jeff can correct me if I'm wrong, but if I recall, we had had that kind of in the works since we had taken him out, you know, that we had the idea that we would bring him back for the big war games because Tank is like always the first person to want to be in the war games and you know he's going to deliver the goods in the war games. Tank's going to bleed. Tank's going to bring the violence. And so him coming back was really a great moment in the match too because it seems to insurmountably stack the odds against the so then you have is if I remember correctly at this point now we get a the the battle between abomination and dominus right yes um dan follows tank into the ring so dan has inserted himself into the war games and then Abomination comes in, and I follow him in, and, and we do some stuff. But uh, then Abomination goes out to get some tables to put in the ring, and that's when Dominus comes down and attacks him. And they're going to fight to the back. And, I mean, as they fight to the back, I mean, I told Abomination before that match, because I mean, it's our biggest show. we got our biggest crowd, our biggest match. I'm like... This has to look great. So if you got to punch him full on in the face to make him punch you back, that's what you got to do. 
And he took that to heart and uh, just started punching Dominus in the face. And, of course, you know, Dominus returned the favor, but Abomination was more than happy to take it. And um, after the match, post-show, it it got real ugly with uh, Dominus, you know, complaining about what had happened. And I mean, we've just had this great moment in this war games and stuff, and he's back there bitching about Abomination. And I just, let me tell you something, you motherfucker. I told him to hit you that hard because it's the only thing you're good for. We just drew 900 people, and you're bitching about getting hit too hard. And he just shut the fuck up and was like, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, don't, be such a pussy like you contributed to this great match and this great moment that's now being written up in a book i mean my god dominus is being acknowledged in the world somehow yeah, that's right he's he in the book damn temerity to complain <laughs> that he got hit too hard hulk hogan's not in this book <laughs> but dominus <laughs> but is. dominus is yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure I don't have a rock match in here. But Dominus made the cut. Yeah, he was uh, He was not quite as appreciative as I felt he should have been that evening. But uh, we fixed that real quick. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. All right, so we got... Now, you two nuts start going in there and, and slicing each other up. Uh, <laughs> which seems... I guess you you yeah. saw the you saw the nine hundred and you're like screw it I'm gonna we're 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 bringing it here <laughs> it's not gonna be pretty but we can go ahead and make it ugly instead hey manage like a manager right. <laughs> Hey, right. I watched that thing today, and all I know is I was throwing some beautiful Jerry Lawler right hands out there. I throw a hell of a punch. My God, they look good. And I pulled out the implement of destruction, started cutting Dan up and slicing and dicing on him. And uh, he returns the favor with the sword of a thousand screams, stabbing me all in the head. And then Iceberg and Tank come take their turns to stab on me some. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get some of this. <laughs> so you Man, inherited it- the Implement of Destruction in the divorce. The judge awarded the Implement of Destruction to you when you and Iceberg broke up? There was two of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they each had one. <laughs> each had one. Okay. All right. That that's probably, that's probably makes sense, right? You didn't need uh, Solomon to cut the baby down the half. In half, you just each got one. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, Iceberg has his earlier in the match. I remember he goes into his boot and pulls it out and goes to work with it. And, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I remember this was on the anniversary of one of the original War Games, some anniversary of something. I don't know exactly what it was. So Jeff and I got the bright idea to, like, hey, let's do some J.J. Dillon tribute spots in here. I, and, man, uh, I rewatched that match for this book. J.J. Dillon gets the absolute fuck beat out of him in that match. Like, you know, always kind of, I always thought it was kind of dumb the managers were in that match, but man alive, they kill J.J. Dillon. I mean, he gets obliterated. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's a finish. That's one that had a great finish is that first one. Because, yes, J.J.'s going to quit. Anybody would quit. And we had more called. I think we were going to do like 
figure fours and shit, but like I got seriously injured when Corey Chavis gave me that atomic drop. My fucking knee, my right knee went off like a shotgun and the ACL was torn off the bone. So I was done in the match after that point. Oh, but wow. I had some nice color. Oh, wow. So you tore, you tore your, you, you pulled the full, uh, they had to cart you off, uh, like, uh, like a, a like a quarterback who rips his ACL, huh? Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, notice like after that, I see when he gave me the atomic drop in my mind, I'm envisioning this beautiful, ravishing Rick Rude cell where I'm comedically <laughs> holding my ass and you know do a little Watusi in a circle and fall down and like everybody laughs at the fucking idiot manager. Uh, but instead, like I had a fucking like Joe Theismann moment where my knee like went outward. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was the end of old Dan's knee, and I still never got it fixed or anything. So I've learned to live with it, but it's not fun. So every time you step, step, uh, go up some stairs, you remember a little bit about this match, right? It's a good one to do a podcast on. You're never going to forget that. Every, <laughs> like every time you step in the shower, right? Gave a knee and several ounces of blood for this match. <laughs> Um, so we get, is it, so are we at now the four on four, right? At this point? Well, it's four on three because Abomination has fought to the back with Dominus. So they have the actual advantage at this point. Oh, that's right. And a bomb with a bomb and uh, unprofessionally potatoing poor, uh, poor Dominus to the back. And now it's four on three. And I remember this was a they this was a, a, a like a like a fit, make Phil shatter a star finish to this match where it really felt like this is the way that you put somebody over is a big deal. Uh, yeah, I mean he was on his breakout rising. I mean before we get to this because we, we we did get it cut down another person because Azrael goes to do something in the corner and he slides out under the bottom of the cage, right through the barbed wire. So he just gets ripped to pieces. Like it wasn't on purpose for this to happen. And he just goes right out under that cage, through that barbed wire. And I mean, it shredded him. So yeah, (laughs) it it happened right beside me. I was laying right there on the ground and I watched him fly over and go through then it was basically like a spider net of barbed wire between the cage and the ring apron and he went through it (laughs) to the ground so he's out you've got a torn acl uh uh abomination and and dominus right in the back dominus's face is a little sore (laughs) and so the the, so it's it's a wreck uh, in the ring right and shatter starts absolutely throwing iceberg which is really incredible to watch because iceberg of course is enormous uh like you know throwing up throwing up calf or something like that around the ring uh with these suplexes and it's really like go holy he really looks i i said in my book i think that he looked like kind of 1990 scott steiner where it's like guys doesn't really know what he's doing as much but it's just gonna throw a guy in the air and the guy's gonna land wherever he lands yeah he was uh on the rise and i mean he was big and thick at this point but i mean like a month later he would already be trimmed down and ripped up i mean this guy 
what he did to his body was incredible. I mean, he really, uh, he really worked hard and, uh, this was his moment and, uh, him and iceberg are still super tight over the stuff they did together. Cause you know, iceberg clearly made him, he got the first pin on iceberg in anarchy. And then, uh, really the only submission that iceberg ever had that I'm aware of. So, uh, we really put him over super strong. Yeah. And that, that is, and like we talked about earlier, this has a, an appropriate, uh, finish to a, to a warriors match. Like, you know, to make Iceberg submit a guy who I guess had never submitted before and may never submit again, you got to do something that uh, that's going to make that appropriate, right? He's not going to submit to a to a figure four leg lock, right? You got to do something that's going to make somebody like Iceberg, who's just who's you know wrestling's only serial killer, decide that he's had enough. And he yeah. takes a what is it a superplex, and then yeah. Gets and then gets choke bombed through a table. What, what, what is Iceberg at this? He's four 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 twenty probably four ten. What is he weigh? I was going to say four fifty, but it, it could be four twenty five or something. But he was over four hundred pounds. Right. I mean, I know he was built at five hundred pounds, but but legitimately, you know, on a scale, four hundred something pounds, right? And so and amazing the 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 bumps that a guy that size could take. I mean, really was a, a remarkable, a remarkable uh, wrestler in a lot of ways. For a guy, we talked about Asriel, same thing. Iceberg never really had his moment uh, on a bigger stage. But on the stages he was on, he was like one of those guys, you see him in a small club, he's going to blow the doors off the place. Yeah, unfortunately, guys like him and Tank were kind of in the wrong era because their era, like mainstream wrestling, was so fucking sanitized and boring and bland, and it was the same fucking OVW rejects with all of them with a six pack of abs and shitty tribal tattoos, <laughs> barbed wire around the uh, the bicep. <laughs> Yeah, so a guy like Iceberg, who's like a true anomaly, and like he's got the endorsement of Abdullah the Butcher. He got a Mr. Pogo laid down for him, and Pogo didn't fucking lay down for anybody in Japan. And then he had this great regional run with us and this cult following, and yet, like, you you can't find a spot for Iceberg? Go fuck yourself. Yeah, one of the, well, there's like you, Look back on wrestling and you think about who are the guys who, you know, who never made it that should have. I think he, you know, like if you rewrite history uh, of professional wrestling in the 21st century, Iceberg's a big star somewhere. There are a handful of guys like that and, you know, and the dice roll one way and they, and they don't roll another. Uh, But, uh, you know, he had, this I think was a, he had obviously these performances where he was more of this force of destruction but here was a thing where he was a guy who came in there and and uh to put somebody over and put him over like you couldn't believe for a guy who's that big and it built that sort of he and it built that reputation over a decade to do it right like you, you need to have the previous you know eight ten years of iceberg that make it mean something when shatter f- f- uh, makes him submit yeah, the bump through those two tables, and I mean, they were two of the the older, super thick tables, not the good, you know, brown wrestling tables for breaking 
weekend. These were the ones that people landed on half the time and bounced off of. But uh, Iceberg coming down from that top rope, those tables didn't stand in shame. <laughs> no, you, know, you could put them through a thick dinner table. <laughs> go through the, a guy that big coming down from that would go through a, you know, a, a concrete uh, picnic table probably. And then there are, so our finish is he goes to those tables and then Shatter takes a piece of the table and tries to give him a trachea, tracheotomy with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, he's like, he's choking on something. I need to get, get, I need to open up his throat so he doesn't die. And I'm going to do it with this jagged piece of table. And, you know, like I said, at some point there is, uh, you know, there's something that's going to make even, even, a serial killer decide that he's seen enough. Yeah, I remember Iceberg even blades his chest <laughs> while doing that. So the blood's running all down his chest while he's digging that piece of table in there. And uh, after he taps and the match is over, Shatter won't stop. He goes into his full Fallujah flashback. And, you know, we can't drag him off of him. And, I mean, it's just he's in this full moment of trying to take his life. And uh, I, I love that finish. It's so strong. So what is our – how does this – where do we go from here with the rejects and the lead? Is this the end of the feud? Did we do – no, we did more. We we kept coming back, even though it probably should have ended here. Um, we 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 didn't have anybody else to work at that point, so we ended up back with each other down the road uh, when you introduced chemo, and uh, we kind of yeah. went and had our run with all the championships, and then you built your army back up and came and took them from us. Was I believe the follow up, but no, you know we never got any more of these great bloody gimmick matches like it more went to like wrestling stuff this was 2007 and at what at what point what so you the anarchy lasted how much longer a while longer right another five six years yes or longer this is relatively still in the early part of anarchy right eventually it it uh Eventually, it, it switched over to, I guess, just anarchy. I, you know, so the the complications in the history of the so my, maybe maybe my fourth or fifth book will just be a will just be a history of Cornelia Georgia wrestling where I clarify exactly who owned what and where it was and, and when it ended and when it switched. Yeah, there's a lot to clarify. It's uh, um, yeah, it's it bounced around a little, but. It's- it's not that complicated. Okay. So you and so but, you guys have both officially now hung up the hung up your uh, managerial. You've uh, put the managerial license on a wall. Am I right? Absolutely. Never do it again. <laughs> so you know, wrestling retirements, uh, Jeff, are notorious for. That- that's what people keep saying, but uh, they, they keep knocking on the door, but I, I, I don't ever answer. Okay. Dan, similarly, are you, you're, you're claiming you are the, the goat's head staff is in the, uh, is in the closet or in the storage locker? Yeah, you know, I'm not saying there's not 
something that could probably get me off the couch, but I don't know what it is. I mean, uh, like, I'm not really on the couch. I'm busy with lots of other stuff and having fun doing that, and I just don't really have any desire to deal with the whole chasing your money and chasing clout and trying to get to know all these assholes again and, you know, all of that. I would just as soon be over in my weird little corner making my weird little podcast and my weird little movies, and I'll be very happy to do that. Okay. Well, do you guys have anything else we want to say about this feud or or Cornelia wrestling or horror and violence? before i think this went very well i really enjoyed this this was great i've been this was the first pod when i decided to do a podcast for this book the my first idea was this one i, I was like well if i'm going to do it i got to get my hands on this match so i could write it so i could do this podcast so i could bring these two malevolent forces for of darkness together on a podcast to chat about uh, war games it was like my the, almost the impetus for everything i'm doing with this project was this conversation so i really enjoyed it but we have a final a final thought from either of you guys um well i just want to say that war games has always been i went to the first war games in atlanta and from that moment the war games has been my favorite match in wrestling. So uh, when we got to do our first one, it was a big deal, even though it's one of the lesser ones we ever did. Um, this is one of my favorite ones we ever did. And uh, in front of the biggest crowd and uh, you know, with it being Dan, who's one of my best friends in the world leading his team against my team, you know, we really felt like we had done this huge thing and uh, it was really momentous. Um, I'm more than thrilled that it's, getting acknowledged in a book and a book with a title, the way of the blade at that. I, I couldn't like that anymore if I'd written it myself. So yeah, I'm thrilled to talk about this and I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this. Okay. If you had to recommend if for people who are, who are, who want to hit the, the deep dark web and try to find this, what you, this you said was one of your favorite ones you were in. We discussed that the one previous year in 2006, which I think is incredible. And, uh, on my that blog, Segunda Kaida, I have we have that as the best match of the year, entire year in 2006 anywhere in the world. Uh, what would be your other? What would be the other? What would be the other one on the uh, Jeff G. Bailey War um, Games Mount there's, Rushmore? There's two. There's two. One is um, was Todd Sexton, Masada, Rain Man, and Azrael against. Slim J, Murder One, Chad Parham, and who am I forgetting, Dan? We had Dusty here. Rhodes at ringside, um, who was part what, of the finish. Jeremy? No, Jeremy's in the other one. That's the one, the other one, um, that was Jeremy's big coming out party. But uh, who was Chad's fucking partner? Um, Boy Luke. Alter Boy Luke, thank you. Yes, that one I love. And uh, you got a little taste of what was to come later in wrestling from Masada with him lighting his hand on fire for a karate chop and having barbed wire double stomped into his back. So that was that was the beginning of Masada. That one's one of my favorites. And then there was another one 
that was basically the crowning of Jeremy V. And it was him and Hot Stuff Hernandez. Oh, God, who else is on that? My team was Iceberg, Jason Cross. I, I can't even remember who all was in it, but uh, that one is really great. Those those are two that really stand out, and uh, they got really great finishes, and uh, really bloody, really violent, really strong, and uh, yeah, definite favorites. Okay, are that's those- hot stuff. Throws Jason Cross into the cage. I mean, with that border toss from the middle of the. I mean, just it's insane. Are those- so much great stuff. Oh, Abyss is in that, I think, but as Justice and who. God, there's some good stuff. And those are wild. That's a those are a wild side. Uh, those are all wild side. And I know at some point, hopefully, those matches are all gonna end up on IW IWTV. Um, Absolutely, they will. So those those are hopefully. And like I said, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we get some of some more anarchy on there too. Because like I said, this is not easy to find. Um, I think we're setting something up for people who buy the book and, and please go on Amazon and buy the book at when the time this gets released, it will be available for pre-order where we, I'm going to figure out a way to get, uh, into the, the matches that are harder to find things that aren't on YouTube or, or on a streaming service into people's hands. So we'll figure out a way if you get this, if you listen to this podcast and you buy this book, you reach out to me, I can get, I'll get your, uh, I'll get, can get your hands on this, on this match, which is, is you know, very much worth seeing and certainly a, a part of wrestling history that should be appreciated. And I think anybody who would certainly listen to us talk to about a, talk about this on a podcast would love to see it. Um, all right, gentlemen, do we have anything to plug? Dan, plug your podcast again. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say, you know, thanks again for having us and that, uh, you know, doing the feud with Jeff is a great source of pride. Like he'd mentioned, we are the best of friends and, uh, you know, it's really a great artistic achievement for both of us. I think there might've been some things here and there that we'd have done differently, but overall, like we were just super happy with it and uh, it's, it will go down as one of my favorite things that I ever did in my entire wrestling career and nobody will ever take away from us that our angle drew the biggest houses in the history of wild side or anarchy and it was throughout the angle all the way up until the culmination so suck it anybody else Uh, but yeah, I do have things to plug. Of course, now I host a horror movie podcast that comes out weekly. We will resume production in January for season nine of Seeking Human Victims. Available wherever you find podcasts. You can find us on social media at OG Scare on Twitter, on the Slasher app, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the website is OGScareProductions.com. And we also just re-released our Christmas horror short film, I Got a Rock. We also have a uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Christmas episode that's available for you as well. With Jeff G. Bailey on it, right? Am I wrong about that? Correct. Yeah, that's I'm on that. One of my favorite movies. Okay. Jeff, you got right. something to plug for us here? You're on Twitter at least, right? I am on on Twitter at Jeff G Bailey one. Um, I never tweet, but yesterday I tweeted like three times in one day. So you never know what you're going to get. Um, 
I don't have anything to plug except go watch Wild Side on IWTV and uh, appreciate how great it was if you didn't see it when it happened. I agree. Thanks Thanks a lot, everyone. And like I said, our the book, uh, Way of the Blade, the book is available as we speak, uh, as you were listening to this, not as we speak, but as you were listening to this on uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. So I think uh, folks will enjoy that. We've got some really, really gnarly art and we talk about a bunch of very famous matches and a bunch of matches that should be more famous than they are. So I think people will really enjoy that. And I want to thank everybody. And we'll be back again next week to talk about more bloody wrestling.